Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose. My name's Doug Gillen, and today you join me live from the Anca Cultus Gallery in London as I sit down with the Mexican painter Horacio Quiros. Born in the city of Aguascalientes in Mexico's heartland, Horacio Quiros found art at an early age. School days sketching in notebooks transported the young artist to New World, free from the social norms and conventions attached to his religiously conservative surroundings. However, it didn't look like this was going to be the path Horacio took, as the sketchbook that was filled with dreams and fantasies was replaced with stability and a regular job in the advertising world, leading to a 20-year hiatus from art. Fortunately for all of us in 2013, Horacio once again triumphantly returned to the art world where he has been since exhibiting in galleries and art fairs across the world. Exploring themes of duality, identity and gender, Horacio's work are as autobiographical as they are universal. Initially, dismorphed bodies would fuse together in equal parts tradition as they were surreal. Impossible to pin down, these works became an extension of the artist's own sense of self and sexuality. Emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic and looking for change, he further distanced himself from tradition as flesh was replaced with rock and matter. Recognisable faces became hardened slabs of marble, through which the stories of Aztec gods and Roman mythology would be told, all through a playfully provocative queer lens. In Goddesses of Spoiled Lands, he exhibits eight new works in Hackney's Anca Cultus Gallery, where we meet for the first time, to discuss life, art, and a lot more. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or write us a wee note somewhere online. Let's get into it with Horacio Quiroz right here, right now on Radio Juxtapose. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, first off, thank you for, for taking some time to do this with me today. I know that this was, you know, not your ideal setup, uh, but you're here. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. How are you feeling? I'm very excited, happy. It's the first time having a solo show here in London, in Europe, so it's it's exciting for me. Yep. So what brought you over here then? Why why here? Why now? Why London? I met I, I did club residency like two years ago and Oliep took us to to many galleries and Anka Kultis was one of them. So I met Anka like two years ago, and then she went to Mexico to do an art fair, material art fair. And yeah, she when, I, when she was there, she offered me like the solo show, and I immediately say yes. <laughs> this isn't necessarily where I planned on starting, but um, we're here. So it's funny, because if you say that you did the pop residency two years ago, and I could almost chart two years ago that I saw this kind of change in direction, is there a connection between these two? Yeah, I was here by the end of the pandemic. And by that time, my, my, my work started changing when I can tell you why it changed, if you want. <laughs> I got all, all the time, time in the world. world. We're, we're two minutes into this, so I think so. <laughs> no, I was, I was getting bored of, of working in the same way. I was like six years like working in the same way and, uh, and I need like to refresh the way I was painting, it was like very realistic with small brushes, uh, small scale canvases, you know? So I was looking for more freedom. 
So I found in the rocks the way to do it. After the whole the whole day painting, I then I looked to the to my color palette and I and I saw the chaos, the beautiful chaos that happened itself. The mixing colors and all the shapes that the painting does itself. So so I asked myself why why what I'm doing in the painting is painting and why what is happening in the in the color palette it is not. That was the art. Yeah. So 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 the so the rocks are the pretext to make this this chaos and this entropy, but contained inside a volume, you know, inside a composition. But I, I can work I can I can be free while painting the rocks because there's nothing planned. I was looking for freedom and, and I found it in, in, in the textures in these rocky volumes. So you were actively looking for a change in your direction at this point. As an artist, how do you deal with that kind of, that need to find something new? Like it's quite a lot of pressure to put on yourself to completely change your visual identity, no? Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm a self-thought. I used to work in advertising for many years, working for others, doing work, yeah, for others without doing what I really wanted to do. And I was very frustrating at that time. So now that I'm a painter and an artist, I can't allow to be bored in the studio. That's simply not allowed. You know, if, if, if that happens, it's like, like a red flag that I have to do something. So that was, that was what's happening. And I, I, I really felt this necessity of, of, of change, which is, yeah, which is hard because you don't know where, where are you going? You just go like step by step until you find something and suddenly rocks came as an epiphany. Just just one day there was a rock on the canvas and I did I really don't know how it appeared, you know? But but I know it it, it was the way. And how did this start to expand? You know, because you were looking at this chaos that was in the, you know, away from the canvas. And when I look at the work now and having spoken with Anka, like there's this this idea has really started to blow up and to take uh, so much to take on so many different themes and ideas. How quickly did that all start to flood in of how you could communicate these big feelings from within and externally and the histories of gods and goddesses, you know, through this material? Mm, it's just that that rocks for me has to do with with matter, obviously. But with matter in in, te in in terms of cosmical matter, geological matter, and also human materiality, you know, uh, since the Big Bang and the first particles of matter, and then how the Earth crust was made, you know, with all this process of pressure and temperature, and also uh, materiality for it. As humans, I mean, the, the first representations, sculptorical representations of humans, you know, trying to, trying to explain our, our place in this plane, you know, uh, in, in, as humans in this earth, you know, this, this sculpture sort of, of fertility, you know. So I think it comes like from that, like trying to explain myself, who am I and what I'm like doing here and what, and in what God I believe in, but in what goddess I believe, you know. So it's like I'm, I'm, it's it's like a pantheon, like you know, like like the place where the 
goddesses, where the gods and the goddesses live. The name of the show is Goddesses of Spoiled Lands. Yeah, exactly. I got that right. <laughs> I got that one right. Uh, who's a goddess in your life? Wow. I don't know. What a question. I'm going to be really honest, but the first time, the, 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 just very, the very first thing that I thought when you just asked, my mother, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, is there a conscious connection? Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 just, I just think about it right now. I'm just saying it. <laughs> cool. Let's explore it. <laughs> so there wasn't a conscious decision to reference no, no, no. her in any no, way? No, it's just I have never thought about what you asked. So. so who are the goddesses you're referring to throughout the show then? There's all that are like different. Yeah, they're different goddesses from like Asian cultures, most mostly Roman and Greek and also some are some other pre Hispanic, you know. But that are as a as a guy that grew up in Mexico and this Judeo Christian culture, it's the goddess that I that I know, you know, with also with this pre Hispanic twist. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Tell me a, a little bit about that situation because I know that it was quite uh quite conservative uh religious upbringing. Yeah, I grew up in the 80s and there wasn't too much information. So, yes. Uh, what do you mean by that? That there was no internet and I'm gay. So, 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 so yes. So, so I had no information. I didn't have like any, any referent. I mean, any, any person who I can see to, to say, oh, I want to be like him, you know? Did I explain myself? No, you did. And it's funny, I was actually having a very similar conversation with an artist uh, a couple of episodes ago who was a black queer artist that grew up in a small town, Alabama. And, you know, it was a lot of what you're saying was very similar. It was like he didn't see himself represented it anywhere represented else. Yeah, that was a word. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, you, what you're talking about is something similar. So I'm actually going to ask you the same question I asked him. I'm sorry for regular listeners that are like, oh my God, this guy's got one question to ask everyone. No, but, but, but it's true. I mean, I, I think all the people that grew up during the 80s or 90s maybe or before, it was hard. When was the first time you saw yourself represented through uh, a medium? Our, uh, our creativity. I think the first one was Will and Grace or something like that. <laughs> Shout out Will and Grace. I love that. I didn't see yeah. that answer coming, but I'm really glad that's what you said. <laughs> it's good. There's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer in this. That, that, that were one of the first shows that showed gay people, you know, but it wasn't the cliche of the gay. It was like a quite relatable yeah you exactly like, these are quite quite similar to my experiences what can i ask you a little bit more on this well like because i don't i don't i don't you know i've been to mexico before uh i i definitely was there for a short amount of time so i don't really really know what it's like to grow up there i mean it seemed open and diverse now, and everything now it's like very that. open talk to me about what it was like as a as a kid there especially if you were battling with your sexuality yeah, it, and it's identity just, it's just that i didn't my my when i was a teenager I, I I used to live not in Mexico City. I was in another a really small city in the center of Mexico, Aguascalientes. And the people there, hello, Aguascalientes. <laughs> but the people there is like so square-minded. Or at least in the 80s, it was that way. I not even had the vocabulary to express that I was gay because I needed, I not even know that that world exists. So I, I couldn't label what 
what I felt. Yeah. Wow. So what was, what role did art play for you as, uh, uh, during this time? I know that you're self-taught, but you started painting at quite a young age and then just it disappeared for a long time, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I used to draw a lot. So, so art for me was a refugee. I mean, yeah, because I felt that I was a different to the other boys, you know, and I was in a school where, where just, just boys just melted. So everybody was like playing football or playing whatever. And I was drawing, always drawing. I spent hours and days drawing like insane. And was this for just for a creative outlook or did this, were you being, you know, was this idea of creativity being nurtured uh, in a way that, you know, like, were they saying, Hey, you could, you know, if you, you're really talented, if you do this, you could be a famous artist or anything like that. Or was it just literally a form of escapism? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Both, but because I really, uh, it was, it was a re like a refugee, but also I really enjoy it. I really enjoyed doing it. So yeah. And I, and I got like, Oh, uh, you really do it. You're really good at drawing or whatever. So, and I like it, you know, I like that, like that compliment. And then where did it go? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say that it was a gap of 20 years. I left like drawing and painting when I was 15 and then 20 minutes of David, 20 minutes, 20 years of nothing. And then I, 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 I started again at 35. I see life as, as, as cycles, you know, like it's very marked. And especially, I think for a lot of people in that 20, their twenties is where they go off and they just start to really find the world and sort of explore, find themselves a little bit. And then by the time you get to your thirties, things are maybe starting to calm down mm -hmm. and you're starting to move back. And then speaking for myself here as well, you know, it's like that, that thirties is like, okay, we're preparing for a landing and then things are suddenly maybe a little bit sore and you take all that chaos and that rush of the twenties and then hopefully you've maybe kind of got something ready to go from it. Was that where it kind of, how did it work well, for you? What I felt is that I was reaching, I, I was 35 and I was reaching like 40, like there were, I saw 40s coming, you know? So I said, I have to paint now it's, it's, it's now or never, you know? So, so I did it. I quit my job and become painting. And it was as easy as that. <laughs> <laughs> so go out and do it, folks. Everyone quit your job and you'll be fine. How did I take it you had started to build up momentum there? Uh, were you were you painting in the studio? Did you make more time for this before you came back in? I mean the change was a process, obviously. And uh I think it's important we made that clear. Yeah, yeah. So 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 I, I it, it it took a lot of planning for me like two years and I saw, so I can set like a small, um, studio at home and I tried to paint while I was in advertising, but painting is very jealous. So I couldn't do both, you know? And, uh, and first when I quit from, from, from advertising, I, I, I was still like doing, um, freelance job. So I was, it was part-time freelance and painting and and then, yeah, it was like a, a very slow process and I was very afraid because it was a, 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 I mean, it was a jump into the void. Yeah. And advertising is a career, right? It's a career. Stable. And a, a stable career with, with a stable, Good career. with a stable income with, yeah, mostly that, you know, so. 
So it was that really a jump into the void. I, I didn't know what, what what was going to be there. If at all, how did your time at advertising and the way that you look at images and dissect, you know, kind of like, I guess, how you communicate to people, how has that, did that inform any of how you communicate through imagery with your art and your own practice? Is there a connection between the two? Mm, there must be, but I, but I think that... My most recent work, it's separate. It gets more separated from that. I, at the at the early work, I think it was like my process was my my creative process was 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 similar to the to the advertising process when I when I had to design something, you know, because it's what you knew. Yeah, but now I I I feel I feel more free, you know. That's why I was like looking for this freedom, not, not, not to be like so squared minded while working. I used, in the early work, I used to work uh, with uh, digital sketch and just copying from that digital, from that sketch to the canvas. So I, so I felt myself like a machine, just like copying. And I was losing this part of the process where, where you don't know what's going to happen in the canvas and the, and, and the painting creates itself somehow you know you're just like having this conversation and and flowing through it you know and is that just through time practice building yourself up in your confidence as yeah. a painter yeah do you feel more confident now uh, yeah, in the yeah, studio yeah for sure yeah were you always working with oils yeah well in this series i mean this so is like people will spend half their career trying to develop and learn how to paint with oils. I think that I learned how learned how to paint with oils and then now like like on learning how to like using it in a different way. Can you talk talk more about this? Yeah, it's I I think it has to do with the chaos, like with the entropy, like while while I'm while I am painting the rocks. You know, this like vomiting painting. It's a, it's a very emotional it's, it's I like it because it's like turning off my mind and just like throw up the painting <laughs> <laughs> I like that um, let me go back then to the start of this work if I look at one of these canvases where's the starting point for you because I think with maybe the other stuff I could picture I, in my head with the previous aesthetic um, I imagine there was a photo shoot or you're using reference images and then you were I thought digitally distorting them in some way and then like you, like you said but with these ones because they are so far removed from what you would call figuration. So I'm really interested to know what those initial steps look like. Do you literally just walk up to a blank canvas and fucking start going at it? I draw a lot. So yeah, I, I, I make like this raw sketches in pencil. And from that, I go to the canvas. Yeah, and I try to decide while I'm painting, not, not, not to make decisions before. And, and and work with the, with the mistake, you know. It's like if something something wrongs happen, I know that I can put more oil, or I can sand it, or I can do something. But I can make it work, you know. It has to do with the confidence that we were talking. So, how much of this work then is autobio autobiographical? Ooh, I don't know if it's. I think it has to do with my beliefs, like trying to find. <laughs> So then who are the people in these? Because there's still, there is still people contained within these. I, and that's just why I struggle to identify if it's figuration or not. Because I, 
I, I, I really, I, I'm not entirely sure if it is, but there's definitely people in there. Parts of anatomy are contained within there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I could talk of, of at least of this one and that one maybe. For example, this is, the, the title of the painting is uh, Luperca's Amendment. Amendment? Uh -huh, yeah, like, like, uh, like what's in, what's the word in Spanish? Mm, enmienda, like, like she's trying to restore something. And the reference for this painting is Romulo Andremo's sculpture with this she-wolf is feeding this couple of babies. And it has to do with the foundation of Rome, you know, Romulo Andremo legend. So here, the situation came, I mean, it's different because in the in the real sculpture, I mean, the, in the antique sculpture, you have the animal that is feeding the babies. I mean, the babies are, are getting fed by nature. They are eating nature somehow. And here we have these women or this woman or man made of debris that it's feeding nature back, this, this animal fetus, you know? And I think that Roman Empire has to do a lot with our capitalism think of way of thinking, you know? I think it's where all, all that bullshit way of thinking started somehow. Speaking as a guy that worked in advertising as well. <laughs> yeah. So you've seen how the sausage is made. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so this painting is about that, to, to give nature what we have stolen from them, for, from, from, yeah, from shape, from them. From, yeah. It seems like quite a violent interaction. We have been violent with nature, and what happens to the planet happens to the people. It was intentionally violent. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. And they are features, they are trying to grow. You know, they are, they are damaged. They are, if you're happy talking about some of the works just now, then I'd, I'd absolutely love to, because I spoke with Anka earlier and she was describing this piece here. And for the podcast, I'll maybe jump in and, and describe it, but maybe, maybe you could talk a little bit about your interpretation. Yeah, that, that, the, the title of the painting is Venus, Venus Moves, and that it has a lot of reference from the Venus of Botticelli for me. Uh, that painting is like very airy and like it has like a windy atmosphere, you know. So, so here, she or he it's holding this hair dryer, and also those frogs are doing like the are like like lungs, you know, like to give like this sensation of breathing, and this, you know, the hair also like windy hair, yeah. but at the same time. She's masturbating like this penis on the hair dryer, and there is a shell also like as a reference for the of the penis. And so, yeah. <laughs> now you see the thing is right. You're laughing, so I'm interested to know if these are intentional, if humor is intentional within there. Yeah, I think. But I think that I think the world is fucked up, so we have to have a good time. Well, you know, so well looking at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, the Titanic's going down. We might as well just sit back, grab a couple of drinks, and enjoy the band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You say it throughout your work, both now and then. There is a blurring of, you know, is it uh, between identity, emotion? I can't tell. 
you know, whether the figure is a male or female, I can't tell if they're happy, if they're sad, if there's, because there's either multiple versions of them or, you know, or that we've just seen an abstraction somewhere. And I wonder um, what function this idea of duality or multiple identities serves for you. It's just that we are both. I mean, you, you are both. I am both. I mean, I'm not always happy and I'm not always sad. I'm both. And everything it's, has a dual manifestation in, in the cosmos. So, and it has to do also with gender, you know, I'm not totally masculine and I'm not totally feminine. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a mix of, of poles and whatever you, you look at works that way. At the sunset, there's not night and there's not, there's not day, you know, it's like something in between. These paintings are something in between everything. I would say so, <laughs> maybe. I'd like, to, I'd like to keep picking apart some of these then, because uh, there's just a few things that I find particularly interesting. You know, mainly it's mainly around the obvious stuff, like uh, the, the, the the planet being inside the anus. Yeah, but, but I, I can tell you about that. That's interesting. I'm into that. I'm into it. Let's do it, because it's like a, it's something that I think it's important for us to discuss. Yeah, that, that's Ometeo. Well, the, the title of the painting, it's Ometeo till striking. And Ometeotl, it's, I love that, that god or goddesses from the Aztecs because um, it's a dual god. It's integrated by feminine and masculine. It's Ometeol and Ometecutli. And together gave shape to the, to, the, to the god or goddesses. And I love how these pre-Hispanic cultures could think about gender in a very not westernized way, you know, like. So I'm amazed by that, you know, they, they, they look at sexuality very, very different as today. So, so, so here's this God, but it's, and it's wearing these bells on the, on their, on, on, on their boots that are also platforms. And at the same time, it's like, like have, something is happening in his anus or she's anus and, uh, and for me, it's like giving, it's giving birth to, to matter, you know, it's giving birth like a planet or you can see it in a more pornographic way, but was this a, and this was a reference to a particular painting? No, 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 no. This is just uh, to the God, to the, to the Aztec God, because I mean, that God is the creator of everything and it's the creator of the, of the, of other gods and goddesses like below. I did. I've got to ask, uh, just because I'll kill myself if I don't. What was the moment where you decided that the anus would be giving birth or, or birthing all matter? <laughs> tell me about tell me about that moment where you're sitting on the tube just sketching and you're like that, that's, okay. that, that's too personal. I don't know if I want if I want to say it. I, I, I'm just gonna say something that I had a surgery on February. That's it. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. I'm definitely not supposed to laugh at that. Sorry. What I meant to say was, I hope it went well. It's good to see. It's good to see you in fine health. So somehow, yes, this 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 kind kind of autobiographic. So you do you think actually, if you sat down and you really, I think maybe actually it also helps to have other people. Maybe by the end of the show, because you open tonight, and then by the time you finish in September. Um, I wonder how much more having conversations with people will have informed maybe how you feel about your work. Does that happen a lot? Yeah. 
yeah, you you realize things that you that you don't see yourself. Like when someone asks you about your mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> They're all about her. <laughs> Come tap it. Um, I wanted to ask, because you've mentioned, you know, you, you've kind of like dropped Aztec mythology, you've dropped art history in here, and it feels like there's a lot of like quite conscious research going into your work and the the real design of it. And I wonder if there's a particular purpose of your research. Is it just something that you find particularly interesting? Are you actively looking for references for 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 your work? Or, you know, you just find yourself for, as a hobby sitting just digging through Aztec history on Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. My process is kind of chaotic. I just... I just, like... Uh, look for references and, and start sketching and, and then I start painting and at the end it makes sense. But while I'm, while I'm working, I, I don't really know what am I going. Do you think through this process of semi-autobiographical work, you've learned things about yourself? Do you think it's helped develop your understanding of who you are? Yeah, totally. And how? How? Mm. Oh my God. Mm. It's a podcast. I can't just let you say yes. After all, each painting is a reflection of who am I. I don't know how to explain it, and I don't know. It's it's not a a rational process. It's just it's something that is just there and happens. And 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 I think, it, at least for me, but I would think that also for each artist or for each painter, is is that way. It 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 tells you about who you are. You know. What do you want people to take away from this show then? Whatever they take is okay for me, but these goddesses for me are made, are made from debris, from the from the things that doesn't work anymore. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our and I don't know things like capitalism, things like private property, things like the ecological disaster, things like um, misogyny, you know things that that doesn't make sense anymore so we have to reorder our beliefs to build something better to build a better future so for me this show has this this sense you know i'm i'm like like uh, collecting these rocks and putting it together to to assemble to assemble them in a, in a way in which i can Believe something, something new, something greater, something. Yeah. Do you think there's a sort of? I I was going to say a quiet radicalism, but maybe it's not that quiet. Maybe it's actually quite loud and obvious. Do you think there's uh, that sense of radical rethinking within your work? I, I didn't get you. Sorry. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just when you talk about when you talk about something like I wouldn't have looked at that right and thought that there was a connection there between the idea of overthrowing capitalism, okay, which is quite a radical idea, right? It's one I'm you know I I think has got a lot of legs to it, but uh, so I just I find it interesting the way that you talk about this debris is something that's inherently connected to this idea of really changing how we think about the basic structures of society. Yeah, d- does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't don't know how to answer. Yeah, 
Sorry. <laughs> no, you've, you've started with the... You just you, you started it, when you started no, talking yeah, about radicalism. But it's, it's, it's like a compliment. Uh, it's, it's, it's a mm, complicated matter, you know, so maybe I don't have like the... Like the like the vocabulary to explain it like the way I would like in English, maybe, but but what just what I what I want to say is that things are not working the way we are doing it as humanity. We have to change and reorder and make new structures, new 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 new, new god and goddesses in which we live. I like that. And let me let me maybe ask a, a a more succinct question than the one I the kind of jumbled up question I did ask. What role does art play in how we think about the world or changing how we think about the world and the status quo that we live in? Pain. I mean, for me, it's, I don't know, it's just to put like a little grain of, of sand, you know, like, and try to do something. I don't know if it's, if people is going to take that message from this show or if art in general changes the world, I want to believe that yes. Did art change the way that you think about the world? Yeah, I would say so. Or at least it's what I want to think. If not, I get depressed. But when was the first time that you were uh, you were blown away or moved by a piece of art? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I do remember what, when I was very young. I mean, like was I was like four years old, three years old. In Mexico City, my parents took me to this um, Polyforum Cicadas. Or is it this big big mural painted by cicadas? And you know, as a child, you look at everything and you look at it much more bigger than it is, you know? So I remember that Shimango's building with the mural and, and, and that really made me feel something. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. I, I picture art being part of a lot of Mexican life, art and culture. You know, I, I only have spent a very short amount of time, particularly in Mexico you City. Sh you should come. Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for the invitation, but maybe that was it. <laughs> um, but I remember, I remember just feeling that there was art bursting through every single corner of the city. And is that true of Mexican life? Do you think? Yeah, I would say uh, there's a lot of street art right now. I mean, but but yeah, I, I, I get that a lot. That question that how Mexico has an influence in my art, but it's hard to say it. Do you think this, because I, I see quite a lot of art, so you could tell that this could have only been made by an American artist. Do you think that this could have only been made by a Mexican artist? Mm, no, not, not, not really. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. So do you, do you see the connection, uh, the way that the culture of Mexico may have fed into your work? Is it obvious in any way? My, my, my work has a lot of Mexico, but not in a, in a frontal way. It's like kind of hiding somehow, you know? Uh, it's, 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 I mean, I've been asked a lot that how, how my, how, how Mexico it's, is reflected in my work, but I don't know because I have lived, I, I, I was born there and not my, I have spent all my life there. So I don't know how it's for someone else to decide. I, I, I would need to be like outside Mexico for, for, for some years and then see how, so I can answer that question, you know? So what's your plan for the rest of your time here? Your show runs until 2nd of September. Are you going to be hanging about in Europe for the rest of the summer? Or I'll, I'll be here in London for the whole month. So yeah, I want, I want to rest. I want to do as many studio visits with colleagues as I can. I want to 
to go to openings and visit museums, you know. You, I mean, and this is probably a stupid question because of everything that we've talked about, but do you, you are actively out trying to like look at other artists' work, take inspiration, uh, things like this? Because the, the artist I was speaking with last week, like I, she just, n no other, nothing else comes in. It's just her and her studio and the rest of the world, the rest of the art world. So, like it, it doesn't matter what's going on there. Uh, but for I you, I think it's, there are periods. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I've, I've been working all year long in the studio, like very focused. So now it's... How long was this body of work? Well, I started in January. For me, I want to rest like knowing new people, visiting, doing studio visits. Yeah, and I think it's, it's inspira inspirational and... Uh, yeah, and and I'm here. I mean, I'm not in my country, so I have to take advantage of that and and squeeze it. Do you think you're going to stay in this particular theme, this aesthetic, for a while? Yeah, I think so. It's, yeah. Once you leave, like I guess it's impossible to go back. You know, for you to revisit that earlier incarnation with the more hyper real portraiture, I take it as an artist, you can't go back. Is that the end of that? Or do you still see it as an open book? Mm -hmm. Never say, never say, how do you say it? Never say, yeah, never say never. I see tiny little flashes, like in the eyes over here, there's still, in the glasses particularly, there's still little, little nods. There's, there's a thread, there's like a tiny little thread. There's still, there's still him in there. I don't know what's going to happen, but maybe I just uh, like mixing bubbles, but just, this is something that I'm saying right now. I don't know if it's going to happen, you know. As I told you, and for me, it's important to be uh, happy in the studio, to work, to go to work and, and have a surprise there, you know. Do you feel it is a place of freedom then? Yeah. It's just funny because it's still the job. There's still a pressure that comes with it, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's that's 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 the thing you have it's a job but you have the work is to make it appear not as a job all right <laughs> i'm trying to think if that's how i want to end it <laughs> um as a self-taught artist right um what is the one thing that the, not necessarily a piece of advice, the one lesson that you have learned over the course of your journey without, you know, a lot of people will have come through schools and residencies and institutions and things like this, but as a self-taught artist, what's the one lesson that you learned that you think is the most valuable? Oh, to be like, obstinate that the word exists in English. It does, but I wonder if it means the same thing. Yeah, just like, if you want something, you just have to do it. And keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. It's like we would say in Spanish, it's horas nalga. It's like the horas, yeah, like just work. If you enjoyed that, you have until the 2nd of September to head down to Anka Coulter's Gallery in London to catch Goddesses of Spoiled Lands for yourself. If not, we will have plenty of the exhibition images in the show notes for this episode. That's it from us. As always, we will be back with you real soon till that moment comes. 
Take care of yourselves. I need each other.